<clears throat> we we open today to a familiar theme for me, as long as preaching goes, so it will likely be familiar. Maybe a repeat of themes I've preached to you somewhat before. <clears throat> it's in Luke 9, it's the call to discipleship. And as I thought about this theme, I realized two very unique, distinct qualities about it. First, I, I came to it because... Um, we are in this broader series of Christian community, and I figured whenever Christ calls disciples, the community, this is who he wants them, his followers to be, a community of disciples. But as I studied and prepared for the message, I began to realize that many will hear it and, and think it may not belong under the broad topic of community because it's very personal, it's very confrontational. Christ gives the choice of receiving or rejecting His call to each individual. And so individuals are called out and into the community of being disciples, sacrificially serving. It's a sermon that's a bit less systematic than my usual preaching uh, because I wanted to view this call to discipleship under the broader message of the Scriptures. I think you'll see what I mean. I ask you to stand one more time, if you're able, for hearing the word of the Lord, Luke 9, 23 through 25. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what is a man, what is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself? Let's pray. Father, as we enter into unpacking this call that you make on each and every person's lives, we recognize from the outset it might be very different from what we heard whenever we accepted you as Lord and Savior, if we have accepted you. And Father, you, you seem to give us a high calling, a costly calling. Why should we even rise to meet it? We pray that as we unpack these words, that you would open up our hearts to think like you think, to view life as you would view life. Father, we pray against the enemy, his works, his servants, his effects. We pray against not heeding your word today, we ask instead, Holy Spirit, that you would be speaking and we would be hearing and obeying, not out of religious coldness or obligation or fear, but out of love. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We uh, Americans, 21st century progressed enlightened Americans want, I believe, to approach texts and challenges with the wrong questions. Or if not the wrong questions, at least asking questions that might be true, but factoring in the wrong factors. What is this going to cost? Right? Later on in Luke, Jesus 
seems to bring this conversation into that light. What is this going to cost? In Luke 14, he says, Now great crowds were traveling with him. This is his Billy Graham moment. Great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Jesus likens the call to discipleship, or I should say he says the the call to discipleship is a call where he comes first. This hate family idea is a Hebraic, Hebrew exaggeration that means to esteem Christ first. The love and devotion to Christ must be so rock solid and radical that it may appear that everything and everyone else might even be hated. It is a call that calculates cost like a person who's building a house. Will he have enough? Because if not, don't even start it. It's kind of like a king waging a war, making sure he has the potential to defeat his enemy. If not, he might plan for diplomacy, shrewdly making his course of action. Counting cost. And I wonder if you hear the call to follow Christ and calculate this. Am I willing to give up fun? Am I willing to give up joy? Am I willing to give up pursuing happiness? Am I willing to give up comfort or convenience or reputation or even societal favor? Right question, am I willing to give up, but wrong factors, wrong assumptions. If you're married, you came to that wedding day, and did you not ask yourself when engagement was proposed? You didn't say, am I willing to give up fun? Am I willing to give up joy? Some of you are like, I did. No, don't don't say that. Pursuing happiness, settling down with this one. No. Why? Because you loved him or her. Because if you were honest, perhaps you even thought that some of those things in your life, love, pursuing happiness, was contributed to by that potential spouse. It's not bad. Proverbs says to take joy in one's spouse or blessed is the one who finds a good wife and so forth. So it was an easy sacrifice. And perhaps it's been tested throughout marriage, but by God's grace, it still was an easy sacrifice. And you might even ask, what sacrifice was there anywhere? Maybe self-independence or or freedom to do whatever, wherever, whenever. Less responsibilities. 
But you might be saying, no, what I sacrificed is loneliness. What I sacrificed was spinning my wheels for settling down with a family. I sacrificed living for myself for living for someone else and others. And it's this kind of reasoning, this kind of of reorientation that I want to bring over into Christ's call to discipleship. Because we seem to be wired to do a few things. To take passages of Scripture completely removed from context. That's one thing we seem to do. And secondly, to question anything that threatens our self-autonomy and freedom. So what's the context for this confrontational call? It's, it's a pretty stark call. Deny yourself. Follow Christ. And if you don't, you'll be thinking you're gaining something, but you're really losing something more valuable. What's the context? Scripture really connects with itself. You can pair, compare, contrast, fill in, flesh out a lot of Scripture with a lot of other Scripture, which is amazing when you consider the passage of time it was written in, the authors who wrote it, the livelihoods those authors had, the types and and genres of stories and literature that composed the library, the geographical and cultural differences of those who authored it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But what Christ is getting at here, I believe, strikes at the heart, the crux, the point of the Scriptures. Because the context points to and hovers over the driving question of our existence, why we're alive and what we're made for. We hear a confrontational call, but brooding under the question is the reality that Christ could be offering. Do you want to live? Or die? Do you want to live a real life or just go through your allotted years like the walking dead? That's the question. The Bible opens, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Gospel of John reveals, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was Christ. And so the Word, Creator God, Christ Jesus, is extending His hand to His creation and saying, do you want to follow me? Do you want to do life with me or live for me? Like a father who had his children taken away from him by virtue of an outside force, from a a force who came in and lied to his children about who he is, the Creator comes back as a servant seeking out his children, and instead of falling apart like a junior high mess and falling all over the children he loves, he's vulnerable, and he's reserved enough to make an impassioned plea but leave the choice of acceptance or rejection into the hands of his estranged children. I made you. Do you want to see what life looks like when you're doing what you're made for, following the one who made you? And so the context is not a crazed, foreign, long-dead-and-gone rabbi who we profess as risen, yes, but then we marginally or abstractly believe that His words are also meant for us thousands of years removed. No, the context is that the Word became flesh, speaking through His Word with a very confrontational personal question, life or death, purpose or pain, full or empty, alive or asleep, what is it? The context is your answer and my answer 
to this invitation decides everything for us. Everything. How will we live? And the call looks like a call to sacrifice. And how costly is that? Does it rob us of our freedom and self-autonomy? And if it does, why would I answer that? Even though we're red-blooded American citizens, sons and daughters of freedom fighters and liberty proclaimers, you and I, after about, I don't know, five seconds of deliberation, will already begin to concede and say that total, true anarchy and complete freedom is probably not a good thing. In fact, we already see, know, and mourn the devastating results of when people are inheritors of having too much freedom. That is more costly. When babies die in the name of freedom and autonomy over one's body, murder is not a suitable or just concession in the name of personal liberty. When people's bodies are mutilated and altered, sometimes irrevocably, in the name of freedom over one's choice of biological, God-given sexual gender, that freedom is not worth it. The freedom to do so is harmful. Persons with self-autonomy who throw off restraint to give in to anything, whether it be intoxicating substances, overeating, (laughs) junk food, alcohol, you name it, we freely confess such persons probably shouldn't feel free to indulge. They should exercise personal restraint. Personal slavery, if you want to use the word picture. And so, what if American liberty, freedom, isn't the end-all, be-all, fight-for-all? Yes, there are times when fighting for certain freedoms might make sense, but let us not put the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence into the Bible or next to the Bible as equal authority. And you might say, well, Kevin, I got a verse. You didn't think of this one, did you? Didn't Christ say, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free? Well, what truth and what freedom is is Christ speaking of here, though? It's interesting because I thought of this verse and I went to go put this verse in this passage and then I started reading before and after and I, I didn't even realize this verse prior, but it was really relevant to our study here in Luke 9. Know what Christ says in context. He says, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. wonder if you hear a bit of a paradox. If you continue in my word, if you submit yourself to his word, if you put yourself under the authority of his word, if you yield to his word, if you say, not my will, but his will be done, then you will be free. Paradoxical. Set yourself as a slave, a servant to me, to know you are free, is what he's saying. How? Why? Two verses later, Jesus explains, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Sin enslaves people. And so to use the language of Jesus to reject him and to reject him and in so doing, trying to save one's life, they will really be doing so by enslaving themselves to whatever sin they choose as their master. And so acceptance of this invitation of Christ is as Paul explains in Romans 6. He says, do you not know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, You are slaves 
of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God, although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching you were entrusted to. Having been liberated from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. There Paul uses it unapologetically, enslaved to righteousness. Saying yes to Christ, denying self, is choosing another enslaver, but it is actually choosing an enslaver that grants the greatest freedom. If the illusion of absolute freedom is one's lowercase god, one's idol, sure, they'll balk at this invitation of Christ. But if understanding that we were made to worship Him, made by our Creator to be in communion with our Creator, this will make sense. It's where we will best flourish and find freedom. See, did you know that God has fixed creation at times to not be free to do whatever it wants? Fish cannot live and operate in the air. They're bound to the water. And Bill over here is chuckling. He would get more fish that way if they were around. In the... <laughs> Try to drop a giraffe in the middle of the ocean. He'll die. He's enslaved to the ground. We are enslaved to who we worship, love, serve, pursue, admire, adore, exalt. And if it's not God, it will be someone or something else. could be self. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow Jesus. <sighs> okay, Jesus. Right, is that how you were at your wedding? <sighs> I do. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Do you want to save your life? Do you want to let me decide, let me choose, let me schedule my time? I can tell you that whether it's Bible translations, cell phones, or even browsers to surf the internet, movies, I shouldn't have options. I really shouldn't. Life would be so much easier for me without options. I don't need options. I need a plan. I believe the Bible expresses a bright side to this call. If this is dark, if this is uh, scary, confrontational, deny myself, give up myself, there is a bright side to this. And I believe it's expressed in places like Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. And you without money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Now here comes the invitation to discipleship. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choices of foods. And here the, comes the invitation again. Pay attention and come to me. Listen so that you will live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The promises assured to David. See, we here deny yourself and it hurts. We here and, and we feel the loss of self-autonomy, the fear of being enslaved to a master, not knowing we are already in, enslaved to a harsh taskmaster. One that makes us waste our labor and money on that which does not satisfy. And though it is hard, and, and those, or 
and though Christ cautions to count the cost, he is the only one that will satisfy. The call to discipleship is a call to, to surrender, to sacrifice, to give everything up, to stop trying to save our lives thinking, well, if I just, if I just hold on to this, if I could just have that, if this part of my life was not consecrated to God but kept for me, well, then I will be satisfied. But Christ, your Creator, says, all of you must be mine. Don't hold anything back. And Paul echoes this. Paul fulfills this. He, he fills, in, fills it in for us in Philippians 3. He says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached all this or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. I wonder if you heard the secret in here, how this becomes really easy, this call to self-sacrifice, this call to deny oneself and to have the audacity to take up the cross and follow Christ. I think some of the words of verse, verse 12 were rather telling. I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Some translations say, Christ Jesus has made me His own. Christ is shown to be who He is, completely satisfying. All of this self-denial becomes easy. John Pitts, many of you remember him. He said, he remembers, I think this was about himself, he says, I was just kind of on the fence, not wanting to accept uh, Christ. And, you know, there were a few reasons why, but one of the reasons were the common Oh, but if I accept Christ, he's going to make me, I don't know, marry a fat lady and, and move to Africa. And, and and there's all these things I have in my life that I still like. And he says, whenever I accepted Christ, I found out what? I didn't care about all those things anymore. It was no big deal. I found something better. If I told you that there was a million dollars waiting for you and I don't know, let's say Florida, It's kept safely, securely. All you need to do is find a way to get there. I wonder how many of you would shrug it off and say, man, too much effort. Easily, any money, time, and so forth utilized will be made up for a hundredfold once you get the million dollars and put it in the bank, right? But I still wonder, some of you might say, I don't believe it. Others might say, not worth it. A million dollars is not what it's cracked up to be. Finding a plane ticket, making travel reservations, it's just too much. 
But I would venture at least half, if not a little more, would be smart and say the sacrifice is worth the ends, right? You will pay off any potential losses. You'll have much more to spend. The prospect of all your debts, if you have any, being paid off is nice. It's, yeah, it's, it's doable. Even if it means getting in a car, paying for gas and food, sleeping all the way down to Florida, or taking a plane, it's doable. And when you get that million dollars, debts forgiven, better house, maybe you're a little more selfless, so finally that family member will have their medical bills paid, or that friend, you can get them back on their feet. Oh, all the things you can do with all that money. David says, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. In your right hand are eternal pleasures. God gives us a path of life, a path, an objective, directives. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me. Is it worth it? Is it a million dollars? In His presence is abundant joy. Abundant joy. In His right hand are eternal pleasures. It is entirely satisfying. It is solely satisfying. I could be way off the mark here, but something tells me it was not fear of religious punishment, nor solely the sense of duty or the religious coldness of of, of obligation that compelled Noah to build a boat, Abraham to leave a homeland, Moses to confront Pharaoh and free the Israelites. Rather, it was a creator calling his creation to obey him. And when they did, they found fulfillment. When they did, Moses lasted to 120 years, and even then, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Something tells me at 75, I'll be like, I'm ready to die. (laughs) Not if I know Christ. You can't get there on the world's offerings for soul satisfaction. This is the brighter side of what Christ calls His people to, discipleship. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world, yet loses or forfeits himself? I watch movies and TV shows and and many times I'm in the habit of looking up online articles about actors or actresses I see, uh, what other shows and movies they've played in. And in some articles, you see articles about their personal lives. And so people who are richer than you and I might ever be and have had more experiences and have been more in locations than you and I have ever might be prove the Bible true in places like Ecclesiastes. I have, I've had everything I could ever want. I've been to everywhere I've wanted to be. I've experienced everything I've ever wanted to experience, and it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. It's all futile. See, our Creator made us to be in communion with Him, and that's the only thing that will work. It's like having a computer, but stubbornly persisting that you're not going to put it into a power source. The computer is responsible for pretty much most of my sermon composition. I use the internet research. I've used word processors to type, uh, presentation software to make the uh, slideshow, uh, Bible software to study. I'm using a tablet to preach off of. I couldn't do any of that if I didn't plug it into a power source at some time or another. 
And if somebody gave me a computer but handed me no power cord, I'd say, you gave me a defective device. Even though, theoretically, the computer is still capable of doing all those things, it needs the power source. People walking around not living connected to Jesus is a box of potential never realized. The Bible says over and over that life without him means we're slaves to our sin, we're dead, we're enslaved to the various passions we have, and it's true. And this is who Christ calls not just individuals to be, but communities to be, a community of self-deniers. I remember growing up, my dad was the youth teacher at our church, and he would say, my dad is really much, very much like this. This, this explains my dad in a story. He says, if you thought about it logically and mathematically, if you want to talk about how to be best cared for, would it be best in a, in a perfect world? Would it be best to be selfish and have everyone care for themselves? Or would it be best to be selfless and have everyone care for everyone else but themselves? Logically, numerically, quantitatively, it would be best to have the latter. Because if I only cared about myself, and if Elaine only cared about herself, and Christy only cared about herself, well, that means each person only has one person caring for themselves. But if I cared for all of you, and if everybody else cared for all of you, well, right now you have about 35, 40 people caring for you, as opposed to just one. So mathematically, as the Bible lays it out, what do you know? It's the best option. A community of self-deniers. What does that look like? What if your worries came last? What if your doubts came last? What if your impulse desires were fulfilled last? What if what God wanted came first? What if his mission was your mission? What if his desires for all people to be saved was felt strongly in your own desire? And if we responded obediently to something like do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves? Do you value others above yourselves? How far are you willing to go for them? Are you willing to sacrifice for them? Time, emotions, comfort? Money. But if you and I calculate the cost, I think we'll discover that answering in the affirmative to what Christ calls us is more than saying yes to a million dollars in Florida. It's saying yes to abundant joy and eternal pleasures with Him forever. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you you ask, you make some pretty hefty demands, impositions, confrontations on your disciples. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And in the moment, we can hear it as a imposition, a coercion. But what if your urgency comes from a heart to know that we're really self-absorbed people? And we do need kind of that verbal slap in the face to say, hey, think about these things. I am calling you to life with your creator. I am calling you to what you're made for. And I believe the world, maybe even our fallen minds, wants us to believe that you're calling us to something hard and gloomy. 
But really you're calling us to satisfaction for the soul, contentedness, peace that surpasses understanding, life abundantly, as you say in some places. So help us to say you into life abundantly. Help us to know that you came and you've offered yourself for our sins. You died for our sins. Thank you that you rose again. Thank you that you call us to faith and that you offer us the Holy Spirit who empowered you for righteous living to empower us in our living. So I pray that our answer would always be in the affirmative and that we would live growing in faith, that we would more and more seek what is your will for my day today? And less and less, how do I think I'll be comforted? Father, you know what's best for us. You're our creator. We ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A few of you said yes to moving chairs. And then also there is a business meeting tonight. We hope to see you then. You are dismissed.